This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, March the 1st. I'm your host, D.A. The news of the day is we finally have a landing spot for Bryce Harper. 13 years, $330 million later, and Bryce is headed to Philadelphia. Now, all along, we thought that Harper wasn't really all that enchanted by going to Philly. That's why this was taking so long. The Phillies always were the leader in the clubhouse. So what really ended up taking so long for Bryce Harper? Perhaps he just needed that extra three years of the back end for security, but he got it three years longer than Manny Machado got as he signed in San Diego for 10 years at 300. So they're celebrating in Philadelphia, specifically within the Phillies clubhouse. Manager Gabe Kapler joined Angelo Cataldi in the morning show on WIP in Philadelphia and Gabe and the crew already brainstorming some exciting lineup options for the Phils. Okay. Hey, I, hey. I tried to make An- it. Angelo, it's, Angelo, I, yes. I'm, I missed your voice. It's really nice to hear from you. No, it's great. Gabe, uh, congratulations to you and the Phillies to organization. You, to you as well. Uh, no, no, these these. Fans, you have no idea how excited they are right now. Oh, uh, that's not true, Angelo. You do? Yes. Do you I know, know that I... you've sold over 100,000 tickets since the, the signing was leaked out? 100,000 already. Uh, yeah. You know what? <laughs> it, it, it's no surprise because yeah. when uh, a, a club acquires Bryce Harper, you know that your game is elevated. And given all of the moves that we made up to the point of acquiring uh, Bryce Harper, you know, you're – you're talking about Andrew McCutcheon, a new left fielder. You're talking about Gene Segura, a, a new shortstop. You're talking about Reese Hoskins moving back to his natural position. You're talking about David Robertson at, at the back end of, of a, an already strong bullpen. Uh, you're talking about Alvarez, another left-handed weapon in your bullpen. Uh, and then you tack on a, a talent like Bryce Harper, and, and there's reason that, that fans are excited. And it's there's a lot of merit to that. It's... it's um, it's natural, and, and we're all excited as well. How many lineups have you run through in your head already? <laughs> <laughs> I've been, but interestingly, I've been going through those lineups for the entire offseason. Um, and then, you know, yesterday it became a little bit more real. And I've got a couple up on my whiteboard right now. Very excited about the lineups that, that we, we have. I've a done it to for the first time in years. What do you I have? Actually what do you have I have down a couple there? different. Holy I'm, smokes. I'm, I'm messing around. I got four or five different lineups. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're all, they all stink. No. Now, with all the options you have, are you. Uh, for the first time thinking of at times doing something more traditional because you have such a balance now and such a uh, a slew of talent? Uh, you know what I am? Um, and, you know, kind of speaking hypotheticals here, but it's it, it's totally fair. Last year we had to do a lot of mixing and matching. And, and in part it was because, you know, the personnel was good, but it's not 
the everyday 600 plate appearance guys that we have on our roster. There was no Andrew McCutcheon that you could just kind of write into the lineup every day and and let him go do his thing, a former MVP. There was no Gene Segura at shortstop that you could just write into the lineup at shortstop every single day. And there was certainly no Bryce Harper. But now as you look through our lineup and you look at JT Realmuto and you look at Reese Hoskins, there's, there's guys that are going to be in the lineup every day and they're going to settle into their natural spots. I'm not, gonna, not saying that it's going to be the same lineup every single day. We're certainly going to do what we did last year and look at the opposing pitcher, take, in, take that into consideration and, and try to – be strategic about it, but at the same time, it's it's a different group of guys. It's a, it's a group of guys that are very, very dependable, have long track records of success, and again, like, it's going to be a lot of fun for our coaching staff to put these lineups together. Hey, Gabe, I just got one more here in Philly. Uh, you, it is a special challenge to be the manager of a superstar like Harper. In 04, there were a lot of superstars on that Red Sox team. Manny Ramirez, Big Poppy, you had Kurt Schilling. Is it a special challenge? How do you handle a superstar? I'm going to throw one more in there because I think okay. he's he, – uh, Pedro Martinez off oh of that team. Oh, my God, that's and, right. And, <laughs> and, and the reason the reason I throw out Pedro is because he was another interesting challenge. And all of those personalities that you mentioned, Angelo, they're, they're yeah. all very different. And one thing we know about Bryce Harper is he wants to come in and fit into an environment, fit into a clubhouse – with a lot of other star players, like there, and there are, we do have some star power in that clubhouse. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Bryce Harper is one of the greatest players in the world, and he may be the most recognizable name in baseball. So, all of those things matter. Um, you know, the first thing that we do when we bring a new player into our clubhouse is get to know him, uh, spend the time talking to him. And I've gotten to know, you know, Bryce across the field and, and watching him play the game. Incredible level of intensity, hustles all the time, cares deeply about winning, cares deeply about being one of the best players in baseball. So for uh, for a baseball team, a clubhouse, and, and for a manager, not much to complain about there. Man, could you imagine being Kapler and in one fell swoop this offseason adding JT Realmuto, Gene Segura, Dave Robertson, Andrew McCutcheon, and then... Bryce Harper. It's a different group of guys. It's a, it's a group of guys that are very very dependable, have long track records of success, and again, like, it's going to be a lot of fun for our coaching staff to put these lineups together. That's a way better lineup card to make out on a daily basis, but this comes with pressure. Philadelphia is no slouch. If you don't perform, you are going to hear it from fans and media. So right now. It smiles, but where do we stand in October if the Phillies don't go deep in the postseason? And how about the cities that he left behind? It looked like at the end the San Francisco Giants were one of the finalists for Harper Services, but in San Francisco, they didn't get him, and they took the news hard. Let's listen in to 95-7, the game in San Francisco, as Steiny and Guru get the news broken to him. No Harper for you. John, you broke the story here. 13 years, $330 million for Bryce Harper, no opt-out for Bryce, and a full no-trade clause. What are your thoughts when you got the report that Bryce was going to be a Philadelphia Philly? I'm not shocked. It, you know, Obviously, we knew there were three teams in the end, the Giants, uh, the Dodgers, and uh, the Phillies. Uh, the other teams seemed to have gone by the wayside by that point. Uh, you know, I think the Giants uh, were always in a tough spot uh, due to the ballpark, probably, and the, and the team. Right now, uh, the team is kind of in a transition uh, phase, so the first couple of years might be tough. 
and the park is very tough for a lefty slugger. So uh, I thought it was an uphill battle for the Giants, but uh, they certainly gave it a shot, and uh, I don't know their exact offer, but I heard early in, er, earlier in the week that there were two teams over at least two teams over 300. So I, I think they were probably over 300. I don't know exactly where they were, but uh, they gave it a good shot. I give Larry Bear credit. Uh, he really wants to reward the fans. Um, I'm just not sure that uh, this is the right time, though, to, to go out and get a, make a big expenditure. He wants, to, uh, he wants to reward the fans. He wants to make it a great uh, entertainment for the fans, and that's great. But uh, this team is in transition, so... Uh, I, I, I would be a little surprised if the Giants had gotten him. How significant is the fact that, and you mentioned it, it's not a friendly ballpark for hitters. How much of a disadvantage is that when it comes to trying to get a hitter, specifically a power hitter for the Giants? Yeah, I, I do think it's a disadvantage. Uh, you know, I think Stanton didn't come uh, probably because the team looked like it was rebuilding and because he was, grew up a Dodger fan more than anything. So I, I think this is more of a factor for lefty slugger. If you look at the numbers, uh, it's the toughest park for lefty sluggers. I know a lot of people outside of San Francisco might find that hard to believe because Barry Bonds hit so many home runs, but he was just superhuman and, uh, you know, obviously uh, – you know, was way above everybody else at that point. But uh, it's, I think it's t- it makes it tough, certainly for a slugger, a lefty, left-handed hitting slugger, uh, and he wants to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, certainly uh, was a, definitely a factor here, I do believe. Uh, you know, on, on the other hand, it's probably easier to get a pitcher to come to that ballpark. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Where do the Giants go from here, John? Because obviously they have an outfield now of Mac Williamson, Steven Duggar, Austin Slater, uh, Chris Shaw. That's not going to scare anybody right away. Where do the Giants go from here now that they missed out on Bryce Harper in the second straight offseason where they've missed out on a big power hitter? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I kind of liked uh, what, what Farhan was doing with getting guys in on bargain deals and uh, understanding that it's a transition and the team probably won't win this year. Uh, that outfield does look a little thin. I, I don't know whether they want to get Austin Jackson back. Probably not. Uh, didn't they, they sign Para to the Yeah, Para, Maybin, Parra. and Solarte, the minor, minor league Yeah, guys. so those are, I like that. Those I like that that tack for a team that's uh, probably a couple years away from contention. Um, Adam Jones is still out there. He I to me, and I tweeted this earlier today. He'd be a great addition to any rebuilding team, any team with the young outfielders and. Uh, I think he'd be a nice fit there. I mean, obviously, I had McCutcheon last year. So, Adam Jones, similar type player, a little bit older, probably not quite the hitter that McCutcheon is, but uh, it'd be a nice fit for the team. But you're not now, there's still a lot of free agents left, but you're not going to get some uh, superstar uh, position players at this point. Uh, the big focus now will turn to Keichel and Kimbrell. Those are the two big stars left. If you're the Giants, you've got to be deflated that you were in it to the very end and you could not reel in the big fish. But I'll say this, 13 years is a crazy long time. And none of these contracts, when we look back in retrospect, that go 10 years or more have ever ended up good. We just had Giancarlo stand and the Marlins immediately wanted to get rid of him. And now the Yankees have a contract that they can't move as well. How about Prince Fielder's deal or Albert Pujols' deal or Miggy Cabrera's deal or either of the A-Rod deals? The first one, the Rangers had to get rid of him, and then the second one became another albatross around the necks of the Yankees. We have never had 
a really long-term deal in baseball in recent years end up paying dividends at the end? Will this one be different? We'll see. Reportedly, Bryce Harper had a four-year deal on the table for the Los Angeles Dodgers at $45 million per, which means he would blow out of the water the record for average annual salary, but also would be able to be a free agent at the age of 30. Do this all again. Seems like a pretty good deal. Plus, you get to stay on the West Coast where you are from. You're from Vegas, and so just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Los Angeles. So should Bryce Harper have taken the Dodgers deal? The sports junkies in D.C. on 106.7 of the fan waiting. It's a weird deal because, you know, with the AAV, the average annual value of it is so low the guy in six weeks is going to be—he's going to feel like he's underpaid. Yeah, it was shocking. Really yeah, but, it, but he still has the biggest contract overall. Yeah, he has that for a week. I mean, yeah. you know, Trout will break it in two years. Machado's yeah. so already making more per year. Yeah. Arnado's clearly making more. Per year. But it clearly wasn't about that because no, he turned down total value. He turned down yeah. the Dodgers at forty-five they million. They have the biggest contract in professional North American sports this, history. This is what I'm surprised at. I'm surprised he didn't. And I don't know if this is true or not, but there are no opt-outs. Right. right, yeah, that, that's, that's weird. That, so I can't believe he committed to one place for 13 years. I was years. shocked yeah. by that, too. But here, here's the thing. So on the one hand, it is smart in this sense. Like I think he short-sighted himself. He probably left over $100 million on the table long-term. I really believe that. Because, because of? Well, if he, he could have gotten like the $45 million for the Dodgers for five oh. years or whatever and just keep doing that and get more money. But yeah. he, he's smart Maybe. in this sense. Because Zimmerman and these guys, like Zimmerman next year is going to have a hard time finding a team. There are a lot of guys, 36, 37, 38 years old, that they're just not paying him anymore. Well, I mean, and, that, and look at Worth. Yeah, exactly. They're out of baseball. Yeah. So he knows now he's going to be playing Major League Baseball until his 39th year. Yeah. So in that sense. Making $25 million making in that $25 year. Making $25 million when he's probably way on the downside. So in that sense, it's it's good. So he's going to have a however long career. He's going to have a 20-year career guaranteed. Right. So that's good. But I think he left a lot of money on the table. A lot of money. You mean if he didn't take the Dodgers deal? Yeah. Or, yeah, or, or any deal where he could have opted out after a few years and just keep you know, going back. The Dodgers deal for $180 million over four years, very enticing. I mean, I don't because know then how you pass on that. Because then you're 30, you you have enough confidence in yourself, you're going to have four good years. Yeah. And you maybe, dive right back into the pool. Yeah, but at that maybe, point, no maybe one's going to give you a nine-year deal no, to but, get you to 39. Correct. But it's the average. if you guys are just focusing on the average per year, that forty-five million tough to turn down, but overall, it's probably a good deal because he probably doesn't make one hundred and fifty million in that second deal. Right. Well, you would think if he played from thirty to thirty-nine, he would, but it's so hard. No one's like, going to sign him to that. No one's going to sign these guys at thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. That's he's playing the, the long game. So he is playing doing. the long game. So in that sense, I get to it. To him, it was the best overall deal, and for some reason, he li- he likes Philly. One of the factors. I thought was, he was going to sign with sure the Dodgers. One of the factors. Well, he likes it enough to commit one, to 13 years. One of the factors they threw out there was that he likes hitting there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I saw he hit stats. horribly their last two years. Yeah, but I think overall his stats are pretty good. But the last two years he's been sub 200. Yeah, but just look at his overall stats at, at that part. He'll put look, up numbers He'll there. be fine. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. (laughs) 
I give Bryce Harper credit. This is a guy that's running into the fire of Philadelphia with a big X on his back. Years, money, expectations, and he's never really handled criticism well. So he's going right into the lion's den. But if I was Bryce, I would have taken that Dodgers deal because I could have taken $180 million over the next four years, perhaps won a World Series, play where I want, and then see what the landscape looks like with the teams that you've wanted to go to, like the New York Yankees or the Chicago Cubs at that point in time. Think about it. The Dodgers have already won two National League pennants in back-to-back years without Bryce Harper. You put him in that lineup, they automatically become the favorite in all of the National League and probably the favorite in all of Major League Baseball. And yet, he's going to go to a team that might not even be the best in their own division in the Phillies. We'll see how it ends up, but we know it will not be quiet in Philadelphia. Bryce Harper is headed to Philadelphia. Jason Witten is headed back to Dallas. The future Hall of Fame tight end had left the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL for a year to call Monday Night Football, of course, with mixed results. No, they weren't mixed. They were just all terrible. Everybody couldn't stand Jason Witten in that Monday night booth. He was boring. He was bland. He didn't use words well. He didn't tell good stories. And he wasn't getting any better. So the heat got too hot for him in the broadcast booth. But what do you get out of a 37-year-old Jason Witten who took a year off of football? Let's listen into G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Dak and him have something every bit as much uh, as any quarterback to tight end combination when it comes to that sort of sense of where the guy is going. And so it, it, it gives Dak a heck of an option, not only down there, but but in the red zone. Does it free up, uh, I mean, on third down, does it free up your ability now to go somewhere else in the draft? You know, when you look at team building, you lose Randy Gregory. You're Now suddenly you're thinking, man, are we going to have to draft a defensive lineman? But we also need a tight end. Could, could this be a, a, a move that uh, that allows them now to maybe more aggressively go after defensive line in the draft? Yeah, I think so, as long as I think we probably want to start with Signer or Thomas. I think you want to start there. Because when you're talking about what this team needs now, tight end was a really big one. And I bet some people may still think that it is. But mm. with him on the roster, he's going to play. He's going to play a bunch of snaps. Uh, so... If you get a tight end, they're probably not going to play a ton. So you might yeah. be able to take it from big need to I think off the oh, board for the most unless you have a guy that you, you love you that re- falls to you. Yeah, I think you could you could still take one and I still wouldn't bother with it and I definitely wouldn't waste my time unless I know it's a guy that's dramatically better than either Jarwin or Schultz. Right. Because you got to be able to push somebody off the roster if I'm going to pick you. So tight end, you might just go ahead and take that off the board. Jason Witten's going to play a bunch of snaps. He's not coming back here to watch. Okay, so there's a couple of different ways to react to this. Obviously, you love Jason Witten, uh, and and for some of his biggest fans, very exciting to get to watch him play again. Is it good for the football team? You know, what does he have left in the tank after a year? Are they letting sentiment dictate depth chart a little bit? So here comes the really interesting part, and I'm just presenting numbers. I'm not presenting an opinion yet. Last year... Blake Jarwin averaged 11.4 yards per catch. Dalton Schultz, 9.7 yards per catch. Last time Witten played, he was at 8.9. So that had come down steadily. Now it was a young quarterback, and it was a, hey, go turn around offense. 
That was so, horrible. Yeah. All, yeah. all their receivers had lows for yards per catch, I would imagine. Because he's not a bad down-the-field player. Now, no. he used to be a great down-the-field player, but he probably doesn't run like he, no. doesn't run like he did. Uh, and that can be what opportunities you were given. It's hard to get yards after catch when they keep telling you to go turn around. So I think they upgraded. How much? Probably not that significantly. I don't think 37-year-old Jason Witten is going to dominate the NFL, but do I think he'll be good for 60 catches and 600 yards? Yeah, and that's 300 yards than any tight end had last year. This would make a lot more sense to me if he was coming back to be a coach. Two years ago, yeah, he might have had 60 catches, but can you count on even half of that at the age of 37 after a year off of football? I get it. The guys, they do a great job on G-Bag Nation in Dallas. They're excited to get a hometown hero back. And understandably, Jason Witten is one of the most popular Cowboys of all time. But I'll tell you this, expecting anything more than 30 to 40 catches out of Jason Witten at this point in his career, I think, is kind of delusional. And I'll tell you this as well. This is about how bad the reviews were on his broadcasting. Because if he was as popular as, say, Tony Romo, it would have been real easy to keep earning that money and not putting your neck on the line every week in your late 30s against linebackers and safety that want to take you out 15 years younger than you. Elsewhere in the state of Texas, it's NBA talk in Houston. James Harden drops 58 points. The guy has been on fire this season, potentially the league MVP, trying to single-handedly drag the Rockets into the postseason and make them a contender now, after 58 points in a game, you might say, well, the Rockets have to be taken seriously as a championship threat, right? But probably not, because can they really match up with the firepower of the Golden State Warriors? And if James Harden never plays in an NBA Finals for the Houston Rockets and never wins an NBA championship in his career, how will he be remembered? Sports Radio 610, Mad Radio in H-Town, talking about it. I do wonder, because I think over time, the number standpoint will actually look better for Harden. Like, I think like three, four years from now. And for those who maybe are looking at James Harden compared to, wow, Wilt Chamberlain, he has the top five. Wow, Michael Jordan, he has the next one. But at the same time, you might be looking at it and saying, what the hell is this Harden guy? And and I know that might be a little bit the, insane yeah, to say. Yeah, for a casual NBA fan, like, like 20, 20 years, years from, from now, now like, yeah. without, it, without it being attached to any championships. like, oh, yeah. well, James Harden had a cute little career. Does, does Charles Barkley get the respect he deserves? I would say not by a long shot. I think I, I, let's remember, I, nobody played defense really back then. So, like, you can show me well, all the low lights of Charles Barkley. That's a good question. I think he does in that the people who know, the people I respect, like, Barkley was a big-time player. Now, he is not, obviously, in, the in like, a legendary pantheon like, like some of these guys we're talking about, like Wilt or MJ. But Barkley was a great Great, great player. Right. But do you feel like he is treated as such? I think so. His broadcasting career know. has helped him yeah, okay. longer last, but I, I don't know that we remember his play the same way. That's a really good point. If Barkley wasn't so good at broadcasting, or maybe you think he's horrible, he's still but you relevant. watch him. He's, right, still he's relevant. relevant because of that, and people talk about him, and people talk about how good he was a lot. I think Charles Barkley... Charles Barkley, without the broadcasting career afterwards, would have young NBA fans looking at looking at things now, and he, they would not regard him nearly the way they probably should. Eh, possibly, because uh, I don't I don't know that Barkley's broadcasting career 
has made his playing career look better because of his relevance. I'm talking about to like the average NBA fan, to like the, the casual NBA, NBA fan, fan like him. a 25 year old right now. You're asking how future generations are going to regard James Harden. God, I'm terrified about the idea of thinking what a 25 year old is going to think of Charles Barkley. <laughs> that idea, con- but to make a, another cross said, court, I'll tell you one thing. Remember, we were looking at pictures of the other day. Uh, I was looking for some pictures of Charles Barkley, and he was much skinnier than you remember him. He yes. was much, it's amazing how, how much bigger players have gotten because the definition of a fat player in basketball or football back in the 1980s and early 90s, well, 90s especially, it's like completely different than it is now. I, Barkley wasn't, if you took Barkley and put him in today's NBA, you would not think he was chubby or fat or round even. Like he looks relatively svelte by today's standards. Especially early. Mike, Seth, and Paul on a Friday were discussing James Harden's season. I think it has to go down as one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time and to kind of extend the point as well Peyton Manning is viewed by many people as the greatest regular season quarterback of all time why can't James Harden go down as one of the greatest regular season offensive performers of all time in the history of the NBA well why can't he why can't he because I think he should well I think he probably would but it's in in the minds of like the populace and everything in terms of uh, is he one of the all-time great scorers there will be no denying it but is he one of the great players Without the championships attached to it, that's just the way it works. Well, no, that I agree. It's not fair. It's not right necessarily. But without the championships, you just don't. You don't get the exactly. Credit. Yeah, and and you and you get forgotten quickly yeah. because of not having those rings. Right now, he's Dominique Wilkins. Right now, he's Charles Barkley. Right now, he's Reggie Miller, a guy that put up unbelievable numbers, had great regular seasons, but couldn't close the door in the playoffs and in the NBA Finals. Hey, perhaps that's part of playing in an era with the Golden State Warriors. Perhaps that's just part of a team that is simply not good enough around him. But James Harden has to be better when it matters most in the playoffs as well. And at this point in time, the stigma is unbelievable, incredible regular season guy, but not a great postseason guy. And we'll wrap up this week with some good old-fashioned hockey talk. We're only a month away from the NHL postseason, and the New York Islanders, surprisingly, one of the power teams in all of the NHL, especially the Eastern Conference. And this is surprising because the Islanders lost their best player, John Tavares, in free agency in the offseason as he headed back north to his hometown of Toronto to play for the Maple Leafs. This was the first chance for Tavares to head back to his old home, the Nassau Coliseum, This was his first chance for Islanders fans to let it be known how they felt about him. And they did. In a blowout win by the Islanders, Isles fans serenaded John with all types of kind, warm messages welcoming back for his return. Or vulgarities, curse words, and booing. On WFAN in New York, the schmoo Steve Summers was joined by Wally Geis of 1010 Wins News Radio describing the scene of some angry Isles fans. Tavares back in the house, and um, Islander fans aren't too happy to see him, I don't think. No, I know that you will forever have him in a in your heart, and I know that I'm sure you were shedding a few tears. Uh, no comment. You know, uh, some <laughs> Islander fans were crying about it. You know, uh, maybe taking after a certain Ranger goalie, you know, shedding the tears here and there. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, right? But, um, as the Islander fans have, um, said to John a few times tonight, um, we don't need you. 
that's been the chant tonight. It's 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 been the one that's been most uh, often uh, after the last two goals, especially the Islander fans uh, serenading JT with "We don't need you." Yeah, how loud was the booing during the video tribute? It was pretty bad. Um, you know, I thought there was a lot of talk on the social media that, uh, you know, there'd be some cheering, but there wasn't. It was all booing. Uh, I thought it was particularly funny that the Islanders chose to end the video with thank you, John, in big letters, big words, thank you, John, across the scoreboard. And it was like, I mean, come on, thanks for what? For, you know, right. for walking out? I mean, I guess he scored a couple big goals and he, you know, he made a few nice plays, but, you know, at the end, you know, it's kind of hard to thank the guy on his, you know, after he left you flat like that. No, Steve? Yeah, very, very puzzling that the organization would do that, not really having, as we say in the trade world, the connection with the fan base. However, what is more important than anything is the two points that you're, what, 20 minutes away from getting. Well, you don't want to jinx anything, but you know what I, I'm thinking? You know, John Tavares is going to see something on an Islander team that he didn't see in all those years he was in New Jersey. And that's an Islander team that can hold the lead in the third period. It might surprise him because it was something he never saw when he was here. You know, maybe he was part of that, maybe he wasn't. But the case is this season, this first-place Islander team, one of the reasons is because they, you know, they take a lead and they pretty much hold on to it. You don't have, I mean, you'd love to have him on the team, sure. And you could use a little bit of offense. Everybody knows from that. But you're a better team without Tavares, and you have to feel good with who you have behind the bench coaching and who you have in the front office making decisions. Absolutely. You know what, Barry Trotz, uh, you know, he got some love from the fans here tonight. You know, they I, I don't know if uh, you guys are following along, but the Islanders, you know, Toronto scored a goal to tie it at two. Trotz uh, called a replay on an offside, and it turned out it was offside. No, it was not. Well, no, he cheating. was not offside. He was offside. No, he was not. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, whoever said you're not allowed to boo was just wrong. You're allowed to boo. Why not? I'm not saying get personal. Don't throw things on the ice. No vulgarities, profanities with the kids around. But booing? Oh, sure. It's all about the boo. I'm all in on the boo. That will do it. The best of your sports talk for Friday, March the 1st. We will see you on Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.